One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Oh, hello Rush Nation, it's Murph here. It's Wednesday, it's time for the Look Ahead Podcast Part 1. I'm going to take you through Thursday Night Football and all the early Slater games, the 6 o'clock games here in the UK for fantasy football. Give you some ideas, you know the drill by now, hopefully if you don't. I can basically pose some questions to myself when thinking about who to start in these games and then give you all basically some information that hopefully you can use to make decisions on who to start in your teams this week and then probably essentially who not to start. So we're at the fantasy playoffs now for most leagues. A couple of you will be using this week to try and get in to fantasy playoffs if you're in a 10-team or an 8-team league or you just have uh, a semifinals, i.e. four four-team start semifinal playoffs. So... As a result, uh, this is a really crucial week, so I'm going to go through this in some detail, but still going to split this into two pods, so uh, do the, the 6 o'clock Slater game Sunday and then Thursday night football, and then we'll do the rest later on in the week. I uh, hope you checked out the podcast with Lee and Stocks. It was a, a really good, insightful podcast, and then uh, we also have our guest who's coming this week as well, who's absolutely fantastic and a real pleasure to have on. Without further ado, let's look at Thursday Night Football. It's uh, the Cowboys at the Bears. The first thing I really want to point out about this game is it's going to be very, very cold in Chicago on Sunday. Uh, It's going to be minus 14 degrees C, so it's about 7 degrees Fahrenheit, which is absolutely freezing. So it's going to be very, very cold conditions, probably some of the coldest conditions in fact, it is the coldest conditions that Prescott has ever played. And it is a real culture shock when you go from 
playing indoors to playing in these kind of conditions. And I think it's something that he potentially could struggle with. So um, I'm really keen to see uh, these QBs that have gone through a bit of a change uh, in roles recently, whereas uh, Dak potentially on the way down and Mitch Trubitsky on the way up, uh, based in rankings and on four. What to make of all the wide receivers in this game? And then lastly, who to start? Trubisky in his, uh, three of his last four games has had a minimum of 18.9 fantasy points per game. And he had a season high this week of 23.92 points. So he really is on an upward climb. He seems to have found a bit of confidence, a bit of form at the right time. Probably, actually, you say the right time. It's probably still a bit late for Chicago to make the playoffs. But it's still something that they can uh, finish the season strong. And you never know if you, you win out, you ask the question. If you get close to winning out, you know, you might still be in the World Cup hunt. So, I mean, they're not eliminated at 6-6. Six and six. These are two 6-6 six and six teams, which is quite funny because everyone talks about how great the Cowboys are and how bad the Bears have been. And Will Trubisky start next year. Dak was apparently in the MVP conversation for a while there, and yet they're both 6-6. Six and six. So it's a bit bizarre, really, how these seasons are, have gone. Dak has gone kind of the other way. So when he plays top 10 defense in the NFL, uh, he finished with 7.62 points versus New Orleans in Week 4, 6.88 points versus New England Week 12. And he did get 22.7 fantasy points last week against Buffalo. But... I, I do worry about Dak in the cold. Uh, the only comparable game I found on record was when he played in temperatures that were 12 degrees higher than it's supposed to be on uh, Thursday. And that was when he played against Philly. And he went 17-30 for 179 yards and one TD and a 6 to nothing win. And that's the only kind of comparable game. So I don't. it was a Week 17 game. They needed it to get into the playoffs or to try and get into the playoffs. I don't think they made the playoffs uh, that year, actually. So it's something to think about, uh, especially with the weather and how that might impact. So the fact that he doesn't tend to perform too well against good defenses in the league and he's dealing with the cold, he makes me... It's a massive arrow down for me this week for him. The Cowboys as a defense, 10th best against quarterbacks this season. So something to think about with Mitch Trubisky. However, they have allowed multiple touchdowns to quarterbacks in three of their last four games. So it shouldn't necessarily be the risk factor that perhaps it might have been a few weeks ago. Um, so that's just something to think about with the, with the QBs. And, and I'll tell you where I, where I rank them in, in a minute. Wide receivers, uh, you've got Cooper, who you know has been banged up. And he hasn't had a TD in his last three games. Uh, in his last three games, he went three for eight versus, uh, for 38 yards against Detroit in week 12. Zero for two for zero yards against New England in week 12. And eight from 11 for 85 yards in Buffalo in week 12. So he's someone that, okay, at least last week had a bit of a bounce back. Uh, but against the Bears, is it likely that he's going to uh, outperform those? Uh, that's something to consider. So, I don't think he's quite the wide receiver one at the moment that I would put him to be. Plus the concerns over Dak as well and how many targets could be available to him could be something to keep an eye on. Gallup, he's been holding steady six targets for the last two weeks. And again, he's also someone who's not had uh, a touchdown in his last three games. Cobb did have a big game uh, in week 11, but he's not had more than four receptions in his last three games. Um, he did get that touchdown against Detroit where he went four catches from seven targets for 115 yards and a touchdown. But then he followed that up with four catches from seven targets for 86 yards against New England and then three catches from three targets, 53 yards versus Buffalo. So they're all kind of competent options, but it's just trying to work out where they might finish up. Whereas 
With the Bears, it's a lot simpler. You start Alan Robinson every week without fail. He's a comfortable uh, wide receiver too every week. You know, his last two games, 10 targets, he caught six for 131 and a touchdown against the Giants. And then uh, 12 targets last week where against Detroit where he caught eight of them for 86 and a touchdown. But the other guy who's commanding a severe amount of targets, and I mentioned this on the Waiver Wire podcast, is Anthony Miller, who's had three, in his last three games, has had 33 targets. Uh, he caught six from 11 for 54 in week 11, six from nine for 77 in, in week 12, and then nine from 13 for 140 in week 13. So these two are, are startable uh, easily. And if you picked up Anthony Miller, great. If you haven't, check and see if he's still there. A lot of people dropped him due to his uh, sort of bust ability and not wanting to tie themselves to Mitch Javitsky after a terrible opening seven, eight weeks of the season. So he's someone that's definitely viable. And in fantasy uh, playoff scenarios, especially in a deep league, he's well worth a flex play. So for the Cowboys, for me, I've got Dak in the QB2 this week. Zeke is obviously an RB1. Uh, Cooper is a wide receiver two for me. Gallup is a wide receiver three. Cobb is a wide receiver four for me. And Jason Witten is a tight end two. I'm just really concerned as to how many times Dak is going to throw the ball in these conditions. And I think Zeke is going to be the one that's just going to take a lot of the workload. Pollard could be a sneaky play, depending on the situation in the game. If they do end up finishing up quite early, as I mentioned last week, then Pollard will come in and, and do quite a bit of the work and alleviate Zeke. Um, so something to keep an eye on there, but I wouldn't start him as a standalone just yet. Uh, as for the Bears, it's very, very narrow. It's Trubitsky, who's a quarterback too. Montgomery is a running back too. Robinson uh, is a wide receiver too. Miller is a wide receiver three. So again, just to, if you've not listened to this podcast before, and you're sort of confused by what I mean by wide receiver two, wide receiver three. It's very much uh, looking at top 12s, and that's how I rank them. So if you're in the top 12 in your position, then you are a, a wide receiver, a quarterback, a, a running back one. If you're uh, 13 to 24, you're an RB2, wide receiver two, 25 to 36, or so on and so on, you're a three. Um, so that's how we're viewing it. So, uh, And the way you're doing it is mostly tend to be a 12-team league, and then as a result... Uh, you're just looking at who's going to fill those spots. So Montgomery, running back two, Robinson, wide receiver two, Miller, wide receiver three. That's how I uh, would view those. So moving on to the Sunday night game. Uh, first one is Colts at my Buccaneers. What to do with the running backs in this game is, is a big question in mind coming into this and how the injuries will affect the Colts and then who to start. In terms of this backfield, we'll start with Indy first. Last week, Wilkins got the most carries. Uh, Williams never really got going in this game and the entire backfield only totaled five catches in the game which was surprising given that how much work Mac would get and really the way that it's all got convoluted I expected Williams after two plus 100 yard games in a row and touchdowns galore uh, I thought he would keep this backfield but it seems to me they're leaning with Wilkins and then Hines is getting involved and then Williams is kind of an afterthought now do they keep doing that ultimately this backfield at the moment is just very very cloudy and none of them are getting enough volume for them to be fantasy relevant and then you add into the fact that the Buccaneers is the third best run defense against fantasy football running backs and actually the second best run defense overall in the NFL and you think actually I just don't want part of this they're all going to be bit part backs they might get a couple more catches this week to normal but either way I just don't want any of this backfield anywhere near my fantasy football uh, playoff rosters. Same goes for Rojo now. I've been patient with Rojo. I really believed he was someone that was going to be suffering uh, in the first half of the season as he got into the area's offense and he fought for time. And I thought second half of the season, he would come good. And we started to see some trends of that. And then Sunday happened 
And basically, he was uh, taken out of the game due to a, mi- a missed blitz pickup. And uh, that was it. And Arian said, you know, you don't get to play. You don't get to play anymore. And that's worrying that a player like that, who has been dynamic, who has been good in parts this season, even great in some parts, um, can be taken out of a game because he's missed uh, a blitz pickup. And I, I get it's important. But and from a fan perspective for the Buccaneers, it's great to see because it's every man is responsible for their job. But from a fantasy perspective, it's a nightmare because, you know, Rojo could be having a good game. He could be on pace for like 10 for 80, you know, eight, 10 for 70 yards so far. And he's on pace for a 100 yard game. And then all of a sudden he gets taken out of the game and you think, OK, well, that's him done. And he's a second-year player who didn't play much in his first year. So he is essentially a rookie who's going to make mistakes. And if his leash is that short, then I don't want to bank on Rojo being 100% the finished article, only for him to be pulled out. So he's someone I'm very much not risking in any of my leagues this week. And then we look at the the players the Colts have got injured. So Brissett's going to play, but we know he's banged up. He actually threw a season's second-best total of 40 times on Sunday when they were chasing the game, but he definitely looks to be a little bit off, whether it's his standing leg or just, he just doesn't look, his his rhythm, his technique just doesn't look quite right from where it was earlier in the season. Um, That could be confidence. I I think it's probably due to the fact that he rushed back from injury early after Hoyer seemed to have a bit of a mare and lose to the Dolphins. So I think he's probably playing a little bit hurt and it's affecting his action. It's affecting the way that he plays the game. So I'm a little bit concerned uh, with Preset, but he will play. Uh, Mac, we're told he's going to be out of this game and, and Hilton as well will be out for this game. Ebron's gone for the season. Uh, I've just been told that uh, Chester Rogers is going to be out for the season. And then Paris Campbell is probably out this week. He's doubtful. He's not officially listed as out, but he's probably going to be out this week. So really, when you're looking at who's going to be available to pass to in this game, you've got Zach Pascal and Jack Doyle. If you're really desperate, there is... Uh, Marcus Johnson, if you don't know who he is, he is a uh, undrafted free agent from the 2016 draft where he played for the Texas Longhorns. I think he's bounced around the league. I think he was with Philly, and then now he's uh, here in Indianapolis. Uh, and he started to get a few targets. I think he got six last week. So he's someone that is not fantasy relevant. <laughs> he might become fantasy relevant, just surely down to the situation. Um, and don't be surprised if he gets a few catches. He might even end up in the end zone, but I wouldn't bank on it. Um, so when it comes to process, it's Zach Pascal, it's Jack Doyle. That's really all you need to kind of think about from past catches, uh, yeah, from past catches in this team. In terms of who to start, Brissett is a very low end QB2. Uh, and there's much better options that are probably available to stream. So unless you're absolutely desperately playing a two QB league and no one is available, then I would start him. But in all other circumstances, probably not. Pascal for me is definitely a wide receiver two in PPR in standard scoring. He's probably a wide receiver three. Just he'll get all the volume and he'll probably get quite a number of catches. It's just how relevant are they are they going to be in that Bucks defense? It was a bit of a joke and everyone has been kind of and myself included have been saying it's quite an easy matchup. Those last two games, they've done really well against wide receivers. And if they keep that kind of level up, then they might give up a garbage time TV like they did against Atlanta, or they might give up a, a TD when the game is done versus like they did against the Jags where it was 25 nothing at half time. So what happens in the second half is it's not a relevant fancy perspective, but from a game perspective, uh, it's not a live situation as much anymore. So that's why I, I sort of a little bit down on Pascal where others might be slightly up. Uh, and that's something to consider. Jack Doyle is easily a tight end one. He's getting like 10, 11 targets. And uh, if you saved him all season, like we had to in the Scottish Bowl, then uh, this is the time he makes his money. Buccaneers is again, it's, it's the same as last week. It's a very narrow team. Winston is a QB one. 
Uh, Evans is a wide receiver one, Godwin's a wide receiver one, and that's very rarely going to change for the rest of the season. Winston's going to be home in three of the last four games. So for me, he's pretty much going to be a QB one in most of the games coming out now. And in terms of Evans and Godwin, the same until there's an injury or some sort of change. Um, but those three are pretty much nailed on top 12 in their position for me for the remainder of the season. Jones, I've downgraded to uh, an RB3. I think you start him if you're desperate, but just don't expect massive volumes uh, unless he gets absolutely everything right and earns that trust back again. Next up is uh, Ravens at the Bills. There's no real injuries or news in terms of what's different from these teams. They are what we've seen for a number of weeks. There hasn't seemed to be a lot that's changed in, in the makeup of these teams. So it's pretty easy to sort of look at and just go through the names in a little bit of detail, what I'm thinking, and then who, who to start. So Lamar, even though Lamar Jackson had a very low passing game last week, it was just over, it was 105 yards passing. He still put 101 yards up on the ground. So he's still very heavily fantasy relevant. And in the QB1 conversation, just purely on what he does with those uh, rushing yards. If he If he hadn't thrown the ball at all, other than the touchdown pass. So let's say he went one for one for however many yards in the touchdown pass. He still would have finished with 101 yards receiving. Let's say he gets 25 yards passing and two touchdowns, which is still great numbers. So it's still putting you in 22, 23 points. So it's still quite a lot um, without him having to throw for many yards. So he's always got that safe floor. Ingram is still getting good volume, but uh, he does need the TD to really escalate him up further, so he was 11 for 59 on Sunday and then two uh, two catches for three yards. So, I mean, they're, they're not terribly, but not brilliant. Um, he, he will, you know, sort of is always going to hover around the low end, right about two, mid-end, RB2. For him to elevate and to be in the RB1 conversation, he needs to score. Uh, and that's uh, what happens. And it's going to be a tough game against the Bills to do that, but it's something to... You know, he's still someone who you're going to start every week. Uh, I'd be very surprised to see Mark Ingram on anybody's benches. Uh, same goes with, with Mark Andrews. He went 3-51 against the 49ers, but with how bad the tight end position is, and we're contemplating starting people like Ryan Griffin and uh, Mike Gizicki, then, you know, you got to start Mark Andrews. It's just a given. So uh, no need to worry about that. The one I wouldn't uh, consider a start this week is Hollywood Brown. Did make a single catch on, on Sunday. He's going to have Tredavious White on him. So we've talked about Tredavious White on this podcast uh, a couple of times. He's a good good cover corner. Um, so I don't like Hollywood Brown this week. He's someone I would be benching absolutely everywhere. As for the Bills, Josh Allen, still the man getting it done. Uh, still surpassing many people's expectations. And he's still got such a safe floor because he's getting a minimum of 43 yards on the ground in his last three games. So those four or five points he gets on the ground just really elevates his floor quite a long way. So he's someone that I, I really like to produce again this week. Devin Singletary, you know, similar to last week, he's, I posed the question, is, is he someone that I can trust going forward? I mean, he is from a, a volume perspective. Uh, he gets good volume. He'll get 15 plus carries a game and, and, and that's absolutely brilliant. But he, he won't get in the end zone because Alan will do it himself. Alan will rush uh, the ball in. So as a result, Singletary's touchdown column is very, very thin and the only way he scores is, as I said last week, breaks off a big run. So that's why he's always going to be capped. He's always going to have a capped ceiling for me because I can't ever see a scenario where he gets in the end zone. John Brown, despite his low uh, catching numbers in his last couple of weeks, they're still trying to get him in the offense. You know, they scheme to play where he throws the ball for a passing touchdown on Sunday. So uh, he's still very much in the thoughts and, and someone that you can play every week. Uh, the one I think takes a, a big hit this week is Cole Beasley, who had a fantastic game against the Cowboys. 
But if they put uh, Humphrey, Marlon Humphrey on him and, and move him up, Cole Beasley is someone I think you can scheme out of this game quite easily and make it a very narrow game. And that's potentially what I see happening in, in this scenario. So I think they'll take Beasley out of the game uh, with Marlon Humphrey. And then I think they'll allow John Brown to get his bits and pieces on the sideline and maybe expect more work up the middle. So I don't overly like this matchup for, for Cole Beasley. He's someone I'm considering uh, really downgrading and uh, are worried about. So in terms of starters, it's very, very narrow for these two teams. The Ravens, Jackson is a QB1. Obviously, he's the number one overall quarterback in fantasy football. There isn't a game you don't start him. Uh, Ingram is an RB2. Again, you're starting him every week for me. And Andrews is a tight end one. Don't start the receivers. There isn't anyone else you need to worry about here. The only thing is, if this is a blowout, then uh, Gus Edwards could somehow get some form of role. So if you've got him and you're absolutely stuffed this week and you've got absolutely nothing going on at running back, you're in the deepest league ever. Gus Edwards is someone probably worth an ad but um or play, but yeah, I mean it's a horrible place to be in to do that. Um with the Bills, Allen is a QB one for me this week. Singletary is a running back two as I kind of mentioned. Uh Brown is a wide receiver two. Beasley I've got all the way down as a wide receiver four this week. Play if you have to, but just temper those expectations slightly. Lions at the Vikings, and Lions really are a bit of a hot mess. So just going to try and break that down and work out where we are with the Lions at this moment. And can the Vikings recover? Where are they from in an injury perspective? And then also who to start in this game? So Driscoll heads to IR. That's no bad thing. Uh, David Blau is someone who played very well in the first half, but didn't have a very good second half. Okay, playing against a good, a good defense, not an amazing defense. Uh, this spot contrary to a popular opinion, but you know, still that's in some form, he's still someone that you know, not a huge uh addition, um, and not someone you should be thinking about adding. And then now we've got running backs. So for me, looking at who they've got on their schedule, they're playing the Vikings this week, who are the sixth best defense in terms of fantasy running backs. Then you've got the Buccaneers, who are the third best defense in terms of running back, fantasy running backs, and then Denver last in championship week, and they're the 10th best in terms of uh, fantasy running backs. And that's them for the rest of the fantasy season. Based on those teams and the way that they play, they're not going to get a lot. Like most Garber is effectively done. He's not worth playing at any point for the remainder of the season. He's not going to get a huge amount of volume at this stage. He doesn't catch the ball. So effectively, everything he does is on the ground. When you look at those three matchups, it's only Denver where you think in week 16, well, they could get up against Denver if David Blau has a good game and then you know, they, they push on. But I mean, I think they've lost seven straight. So what stage do you think that they're going to they're gonna do well? That's that's the first thing to, to really consider. But I don't see them really running the football that much because they're, they're down to, to bare bones. So they might pass to um, running backs, and in which case that might that will be J.D. McKissick. Scarborough for me is, is there's no need to be carrying him on the roster anymore. J.D. McKissick, is, if you really wanted the Lions running back at a push, he's probably the guy you, you want to add. Scarborough's had no catches this year, just to put that in perspective. Hawkinson's gone to IR, so uh, no other tight end is, is viable in fantasy football. Um, to give you some idea, Hawkinson had that amazing week one, uh, where but since then he's only passed 50 yards once, and that was in week nine, and he's not had a touchdown since week four. You know, the Lions weren't sustaining a, a, a tight end with Stafford. They certainly weren't sustaining one with Driscoll. I doubt they're going to sustain one with David Blau. So there's no need to consider a tight end here. Um, you could just forget that. Now, when we look at the Vikings, the Vikings, it's going to be interesting. We think that Diggs is going to be fit for Sunday. He did return back into the game on Monday night. I mean, he's definitely going to be a little bit banged up, but do you think he's going to be available 
Feeling is questionable. We were so sure he was going to play this game and he got ruled out on Sunday. And he's been struggling with that hamstring all season. And that's a, a real worry and a real uh, concern. So I do think that you need to keep an eye on him. And if it's not ruled in, then it's, you know, I would be going into Sunday not uh, having him in your lineup. And then if he changes, then put him in. But I'd be starting to play with the idea of him not being there because a lot of people put him in the lineup and then 6.20 on Sunday happens. And then it's, you get this announcement that he's not fit and you're like, okay, I'm stuffed now because he's in my lineup and he's not going to play. And I can't put someone else in because it's gone six. So I'm out of options. So that's, you know, I play with the opposite way. I play with him out and then you can sub them in. And I think it's always a better play than to leave someone in who potentially could be out. Uh, Dalvin Cook says he should be good to go with a shoulder injury, but this is Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook gets injured every single year. It's the only reason why I don't draft him. And, you know, that sounds like quite a pessimistic way of playing the game, but uh, I play with a safety floor kind of first when it comes to injuries. And, you know, I paid a little bit for not having a lot of shares Dalvin Cook this year. But, you know, that that's the way that the game goes. But I do think that just because he says he's good to go doesn't mean he's good to go and we've seen this a few times this season so just last week we saw it with Julio Jones where he thought he would play and he didn't just keep an eye on Dalvin Cook you should own Alexander Matheson if you don't and uh, go pick him up if someone else has got him play someone else Uh, that is as simple as that so let's look at this the Lions for me for the rest of the season this is going to be a really easy team to talk about it's Golladay who at this week is a wide receiver too and Jones, who's a wide receiver three. That's it. There's no need to talk about anybody else. Uh, they've got no running back game that's worth mentioning. They've got no uh, quarterback worth mentioning. And they've got no tight end worth mentioning. So it's going to be those two until things change uh, for the remainder of the season. As for the Vikings, I do think Kirk Cousins is going to be a QB1 this week. Cook, if he goes, will be an RB1. If not, Matson, I do think he's not quite as good as Cook and therefore put him in the run back to territory, but the high end RB2. I think he gets very similar volume to what Cook would get. It's just obviously that game experience. Cook will get those extra yards that Matson might struggle to get. And that'll be the difference between them being a running back one and a running back two. I do think Matson maybe has standalone volume here because if they blow out the Lions, which is very possible, they'll bench Cook because they need Cook for the playoffs. So if this win is in the bag and they're secured and they're up 20, 20 points in the third quarter, expect Cook to turn down and, and not get as many points and therefore Masson could come in and be a standalone. But it is a risk. And I appreciate that. If you're chasing upside, Masson could be a sneaky play this week. Diggs, wide receiver two. Feeling if he goes, he's a wide receiver two, but keep an eye on that one. Rudolph is a tight end one for me uh, this week. Moving on to the Redskins at the Packers. So I want to know what the story is with Darius. Guys, what am I making of this Green Bay backfield for the second week in a row? Same question, but I'm still just as confused as ever. And then who to start. So guys played 30% of the snaps on Sunday. AP played uh, 36% of the snaps. And Chris Thompson played 36% of the snaps. Now, while that says this to me, it's a running back by committee. They're going to just run the three of them into the ground until uh, they can't play anymore. And I think that's how I kind of view this this backfield. So uh, guys doesn't have much up, uh, upside in terms of targets. So he's not going to get a lot in the receiving count. Um, he's got two targets a game since he's returned on average. His carry count in his last three games since returning from injury is 7, 10, and 10. All of that points to me that his fantasy value is limited because he has to blow up on a very small portion of targets and volume from carries. And that's not something I ever really like. 
I like someone to have the volume. And I think of anyone, he is someone who, out of this backfield, if I had to take one and play one, it would be him. But I'm very wary. He's someone I would have to literally be desperate to play to put in my running back three slot. But I don't love it. I don't think the others are viable now. I think when it was a two-headed backfield, maybe. But with Chris Thompson back, it's really messed up the whole uh, dynamic of what these guys can get. So now we look at Green Bay. Now, the week before the bye, Aaron Jones had 13 carries for 93 yards and three touchdowns. He had no reception. And Jamal Williams had 13 carries for 63 yards, but none of the touchdowns. So then they went on by and it's like, okay, let's see what happens post by week 12. Aaron Jones had 13 carries for 38 yards, no touchdowns and no receptions. Williams had 11 carries for 45 yards with seven additional receptions, 35 yards. And then in week 13, Jones went 11 carries for 18 yards. He had four catches for 13 yards. Williams had 10 carries for 41 yards and four receptions for 26 yards. And in both cases, no touchdowns. So this has very much become a convoluted running back by committee again, as it was all the way at the start of the season. And then Jones has not found the end zone in three of his last four games. So we had that great game. We got in the end zone three times, has not scored since. And this is a real worry because you've drafted Aaron Jones to be a really solid, you know, back-end RB1 option. That's where you've kind of drafted him. And now you're, you're getting, at best, RB2 numbers out of him. And that's a real concern and worry. And that they're splitting the carries almost 50-50. So over the course of those three games, Jones has had three more carries and in terms of receptions Williams has had a a lot more he's had seven more receptions I just don't like the way that this is all pointing towards a committee the only thing is as I keep mentioning is that Jones is the goal line back and that's why he has more volume because if they get inside the five then we know Jones is going to get the ball it won't be Williams unless they put the ball in the air but if it's run on the ground we know it's going through Jones And so that's why Jones will always be ranked slightly higher despite the volume because of the fact that he is the goal line back. But it's still not a situation I like to be part of here. So where I'm at with rankings, Redskins, it's very narrow. It's McLaurin. He's wide receiver three. Geis is a running back three, a very low end, at a push. I'm desperate. I could probably do it. But again, he's not someone I have a high hold amount of uh, value too so he's someone that i'm gonna have to really be sort of shooting into the wind to play him as for the packers i think this is a good matchup for aaron Rodgers. i think he's a qb1 again this week uh, i've got aaron jones as a low end rb2 but he can get higher if he gets on the ground and scores those touchdowns williams is a high end rb3 for me there's not a big load of difference between them but it is those goal line carries that elevate jones over williams for me uh Devonnie Adams is a wide receiver one obviously he gets all the volume and all the receptions, and now he's finally getting into the end zone. I expect him to finish the season strong. Aaron Lazard is a wide receiver four for me. And Jimmy Graham, if I'm pushed, is a desperate tight end to play, but there's better options out there. I think if you've got MVS, if you've got Allison, you can get rid of them now. MVS got no catches on Sunday off two targets. Allison got two catches for 20 off, the, off three targets. Those guys are finished. Uh, if you've got them on your roster, you might as well get rid of them. Uh, do, do anything, anything with them, but just cut them. They, they don't need to be there. You don't need them. They're not involved. Aaron Lazard is the only one that has any hope of being anything in this offense as a wide receiver too. And even then, he's boom or bust. I don't really like him as a fantasy playoff option. And I'm in such a deep league and I've got no one else. But you're almost having him as like a, 
a handcuff if well if if Adams gets hurt again and Lazard will be big again and that's probably the only reason you're kind of carrying him a game I'm not going to spend a lot of time on is, is Broncos at Texans they, again there's not a lot really that's changed in this and these are two very very narrow fancy football teams I mean the Texans maybe have a little bit more to talk about but Denver really don't. So the one thing I, I will mention before I go into where I play these players is Duke Johnson got more work Monday versus New England, and this might hurt Carlos Hyde going forward. So we kind of expected Duke Johnson to really uh, blow up here in, in Houston, and he, and he really hasn't. So he's someone that I you know, would need to think about going forward. And I think he's someone that gets volume. I don't think it's high enough for me to really consider him anything more than an RB3. But it does hurt Hyde. So I think these two are going to almost be splitting the time. And it's almost similar to what was going on earlier in the year with Lindsay and Royce Freeman for Denver. I think it's going to be that kind of scenario where you've got a 1A, 1B. One will be the primary runner. And one will do running back carries. But we'll also get more out of the backfield. And that will be Johnson. As for Denver, the good news for them this week is you can really run on this this Houston uh, defense. They're the fourth worst uh, in terms of points conceded to running backs in fantasy football this year, and they've given up um, 1,800 yards already this season, and they are susceptible to catching backs. So I would expect them to put the ball in the air to the running backs more this this week. So I think with Lindsay, maybe even Freeman, but it's a real desperation play. I, I would advise against it. But I would say with Lindsay, he has a bit of a boost in PPR formats this week because I think they're going to use him in screens. I think they're going to use him a lot more over the top uh, to really penetrate and hit the linebackers for and the backfield for Houston. So um, they're giving up 28.7 fancy points per game to running backs. So I, I like Lindsay this week. So with Denver, Lindsay for me is a running back two in PPR format, I could see him getting and sneaking into that sort of top 15, top 12 uh, ranking that he needs to get to. Uh, Courtland Sutton is a wide receiver too. He's been absolutely brilliant this season. Absolutely fantastic. And if he had a better quarterback attached to him, I would probably put him at a quarterback one rating. But given the fact it's Kyle and and, and literally he's having to make the most ridiculous plays ever to, to stay fantasy relevant, he stays in the wide receiver two conversation for me. No fan, tight end two. It's a shame he's, he's getting these costly drops that are costing touchdowns and uh, it's a real concern, but he stays in the tight end two conversation for me just purely on, on volume. Texans, Watson, easily uh, QB1. He, he will be most weeks uh, when he plays. Uh, Hyde and Johnson, I've got both as uh, running back threes and I've actually got them back to back. Very much at the low end wide uh, running back three conversation. Um, I just think they're going to eat each other's volume and Denver are pretty good at stopping the run. And that that sort of concerns me a little bit. So I'm um, just a bit worried about that. Uh, Hopkins is a wide receiver one for me. Uh, most weeks he will be. And I think whilst he might get the Chris Harris treatment, I still think he's good. And Chris Harris had a bit of a, a down couple of weeks. And I think Hopkins can, can take advantage and run those right routes to, to take advantage of that. Fuller, Will Fuller is a wide receiver three. Didn't get a lot going last week against New England. I kind of anticipated that could be the case and did say so on the look at pod last week. But I still think he's worthy of a play. I think he can exploit big stretching plays and really exploit the, the, the secondary for the Broncos here. Bengals at Browns, it's another one that I'm going to spend a bit of time, but not, not tons of time on. And that's purely because I really want to know sort of what, what do we expect now with, with Andy Dalton back and now play the game, what does it kind of look like? Uh, is OBJ ever going to be a, a thing when it comes to wide receiver ones or is it really just wheels up on Landry between now and the end of the season? And then who to start? So Dalton wins on his return. 
Uh, great for him, 243 yards. Gets a touchdown. Should have been two, but uh, CJ Zoma dropped one in the end zone. It was pretty bad. If you haven't seen it, go back and look at it. Felt bad for Dalton, but he wins. Uh, he gets a you know gets Zach Taylor his first win as a coach, and it had been coming. The Bengals hadn't looked as bad as their record suggested. There was always a win on the horizon. It was always coming fairly soon. Just from the receiving front, you know, Boyd went five for fifty nine, a touchdown. He played on eighty three percent of snaps. Auden Tate, uh, four for 66, uh, 80% of snaps. These are the two wide receivers you you can play going forward uh, with a little bit of confidence. Um, Erickson went two for 21, playing 64% of snaps. He's not someone I'd be uh, starting. Um, the really interesting one was a tight end. So I had to really look and see what was going on. Eifert only caught one ball for 12 yards, played on 38% of snaps. And CJ Zoma caught five for 51, 71% of, of, of snaps. And I'm really puzzled by this because I thought, is, is, is Eifert injured? And I don't know. I, I generally don't know why all of a sudden CJ Ozoma has been brought in and he's getting all this work and Tyler Eifert has been benched um, or he's just not playing on as many snaps, whether it's because he's not used to playing this many games in the season and there's that wear and tear on his body. Um, unfortunately, Tyler is someone that suffers a lot of injuries and maybe he was in the red zone due to the amount of snaps he's played and they try and tone it down. I don't really know. Ultimately, there isn't an answer to this, but if you're playing Tyler Eifert, I'd be very weary this week of playing him given what we've just seen. And it could just be a one week, almost like a, a rest and recuperation, right? But you have to look at, at where things are trending and right now they trended up for Izomo and, and down for, for Eifert. So... I don't know. I don't have an answer for you because I don't work for the team. But it's something to uh, think about. And if you're stuck at tight end, I, I'd probably just uh, avoid the situation this week. Mixon got some work. Uh, 19 carries, 44 yards and a touchdown. So not great <laughs> sort of average yards per carry numbers, but he gets in the end zone. And he caught a season-high four passes for 26 yards. So he's still going to be, if he keeps that kind of volume, He's still going to be a good RB2 option going forward, but he's still going to severely underperform where you drafted Joe Mixon this year. I want to drill into OBJ. Since his week seven bye, he has scored above 10 standard scoring fantasy points just once. And that was against Miami in week uh, week 12. And he scored just two touchdowns in the entire season. And now we've got Landry. And Landry, since the bye, every single week has outscored OBJ in every notable column. So touchdowns, five touchdowns to OBJ's one. Targets, 64 to OBJ's 49. Catches, he's had 40 to OBJ's 28. Yards, 480 yards to OBJ's 369. When I keep doing rankings, I keep ranking OBJ as the wide receiver one in this team. I keep looking at it and I think, well, OBJ is the wide receiver one. Landry, Jarvis Landry is the wide receiver two. And every week it's wrong because every week... Jarvis Landry outperforms OBJ. Now, if it was one week, two weeks here or there, you go, okay, fine. You know, more coverage, more dedicated performances on uh, resources on one, running decoy routes, the other has thrived. You'd almost have what you had in, in Tampa, right? Where you've got Evans is the one, he draws a bit more coverage. And when he does, then Chris Godwin goes nuts. But they alternate, right? So you have one week where Evans is a great game and Godwin maybe not so much. You have another week where Goblin has a great game, Evans not so much. You have the occasional game where both absolutely explode and it didn't really matter who got the most because they both got absolutely plenty. Then you have a game like this week where neither really performed and it was kind of all shared across 
the rest of the core. But ultimately, that, that you can put down to scheming and the way that the game is playing. But when it's consistently every single week, you have to look at this now. And I have to now rank this that Jarvis Landry is the number one target in this offense. He's the first read, he's the first look, because all the data is pointing towards that. It's not like there's an occasion where OBJ outperforming Landry in any of these metrics, because he's not. Consistently, every single week, Landry's getting more targets, more catches, more yards, more touchdowns. So we're ranking it wrong, and we're viewing it wrong. And the only reason we look at that is because we have a defined talent and view in our head that OBJ is an elite talent, and he absolutely is. And there's no taking away from that. But in this offense, he is not playing at a... He's not being treated as a wide receiver one in this team. He's just not. It is Jarvis Landry. So from now on, I am going to, until further notice, I am ranking Jarvis Landry as the wide receiver one in this team. And I'm going to rank OBJ as the wide receiver two because every week I get it wrong. And it's purely because I keep putting OBJ number one as the number one wide receiver in this team. And that's not the case. Nothing is suggesting that... Uh, OBJ is the number one wide receiver in this team. Even the snap counts don't view uh, favorably in, in that quarter as well. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is as well, the, the other point is on OBJ is he's had a dismal season by his standards, but he's had a dismal season by most people's um, standards. And, you know, the, the standard defense is, oh, he's had a tough schedule here and there. He's paid as an elite wide receiver. He's paid as one of the top 12 wide receivers in the game. He should be able in a tough game to pull out a result every now and again. So that's a worry and a concern all around. And maybe he doesn't like Cleveland. Maybe he doesn't get along with Baker Mayfield. I don't really know. This is all speculation. But from now on, Jarvis Landry for me is the is the wide receiver one in that team. And that is how I'm going to rank them going forward. So I'll start with the Bengals. Dalton is a QB two for me. He's someone that if you're really desperate and need a QB, he's someone you can play. Uh, Mixon is a running back two for me. He'll never really move from that. He might move down to an RB three in certain matchups, but he's never going to make the, the RB one conversation for me at any point until I see something to change my mind. Otherwise uh, Boyd is a wide receiver three high end wide receiver three for me. And I Norton Tate is a wide receiver four for me. On the flip side, I've got Mayfield as a high-end QB2. I think he could exploit this matchup, but haven't quite seen enough to put him in that QB1 conversation for me just yet. Uh, Nick Chubb is obviously an RB1. He leads the league in rushing, so he's someone that you can easily put in your RB1 conversation. You don't need to have a conversation and, and with yourself. You start him every week. Uh, Kareem Hunt, I've put in the RB3 bracket. In PPI, he might be slightly higher, uh, just given the fact that he's more of a, a, a catching back. Uh, Jarvis Landry, I've actually got as a wide receiver one this week. Uh, I'm again, I'm treating him as the wide receiver one. So I'm putting him at the very low end of the, the top 12 wide receivers. I think he, he falls into 11 or 12 for me. I haven't quite finalized my ranking about where I have him right now. And I've got OBJ as a wide receiver three, which will shock people. And I'm definitely lower than the consensus. And that's fine. Uh, I'm prepared to, to die on this hill alone, but I cannot put Jarvis, I cannot put OBJ higher because I don't think the volume is there to, to justify it. Uh, next game, Dolphins at Jets. It's a very narrow fantasy game this as well. In terms of the Dolphins, great win against Philadelphia last week, but it doesn't change any way, shape or form what I view about them from fantasy, which is that they offer very, very little. Parker, very good wide receiver, uh, probably had one of his best games of his career uh, on Sunday, completely destroyed Philadelphia and it was the way that he tacked them and the way that he ran and he made some brilliant plays down the sideline and I just thought he was he was absolutely excellent and he's the kind of guy that we knew he had the talent it's just a shame it's taken him almost five years to show this because Zicky finally got off the ground he's a great tight end athletically he's a freak but he's finally starting to put it together as a tight end to to be good so 
he he arrows up a little bit for me. Fitzy did did great. Uh, Fitzmagic uh, once again sort of put in another typical uh, swashbuckling performance, and uh, I look forward to him still performing at an elite level. But he you know he maybe moves up into streaming conversation for me this week, but. He's nothing more than that. Patrick Laird, after the injury to Caelan Balage, he's someone that I, I put here in brackets, worth a punt. Um, he had 10 carries for five yards and a, and a touchdown on Sunday. But yeah, I don't think he's worth much more. He'll get a little bit of work in the, in the, uh, in the passing game and in the PPR. He's someone that you could probably talk yourself into a flex into if you haven't got better options. But in standard scoring, probably not. But you might as well pick him up. You never know if it all blows up and they decide to run the ball a lot. But ultimately, they, they haven't learned how to run the ball all season. So I can't expect him they'll learn now with Patrick Laird. With the Jets, I think Darnold bounces back in a terrible game for Sunday. It happens when you're coached by Adam Gaze and the team's not amazing. Um, you're bound to have these these games. But I still think he's uh, someone that's worth uh, owning and someone still worth playing if you've got him. Le'Veon Bell is nothing more than RB2, similar to Joe Mixon. He, he kind of is plodding along. He gets good for, you know, he doesn't, he gets enough volume to keep him in that range, but he's not getting elite volume. You know, Sam Darnold threw the ball 40 odd times on Sunday and Le'Veon Bell ran it 10 times. Like that just can't happen. You just can't have that as a dynamic. I think Dan Hanser said that as a lifelong Jets fan and I tend to take his point reasonably well on that that you just need to have a little bit more balance if you've got a quote-unquote generational back like Lev Bell let's let's use him more Jameson Crowder he is I mean Jameson Crowder is pretty much gone right so I started talking about you can't use Robbie Anderson he's almost droppable at this stage despite the fact he's on the field a lot because he's either running decoys and the last few weeks he's kind of just shut me up whether he listened to this a few weeks ago and now he's the one that's trending upwards and they're making the plays for him and and now he's relevant and Jameson Crowder is the one that can't catch the ball I mean he went two for nine on Sunday like who who doesn't catch seven of the passes now I'll need to look at each one individually I know a couple went over his head but still two two for nine is is pretty bad and so he's someone that isn't getting that kind of volume it's all going to Robbie Anderson it's all trending that way again now so you can flip them. Anderson is someone that's trending up in targets. Crowder is trending down. He's not making catches. So if you ignored me and kept Anderson, good for you. I unfortunately dropped him in a couple of places. I'll pay the penance of the RB3 price or wide receiver 3 price for that. So uh, that's fine. I'll live with it. But ultimately, both these teams can't run the football that well. And that's something that's quite evident. So the Dolphins is very narrow. Fits very low. QB2. You could stream him this week, but he's not going to offer you an absolute ton. Laird is a running back 3 four-ish. He's, he's not someone I value extremely highly just based on the fact that he hasn't done it and they've not done it in Miami all year running the football. So why should I start believing now that they can? Uh, Devonnie Parker is a wide receiver two for me. He's really proving uh, to have a good connection with Fitz and he's balling out and, you know, he, he could be in that wide receiver one conversation and, and you know, if you've got him, he's a must start. Because if he's in the high end, tight end two conversation for me, he's someone that you can uh, you can start if you're um, desperate or you just want to try something new or you want to gamble on some upside. I, I really like the way he's playing at the moment. Donald have gotten the high-end QB2 uh, range. I think he'll have a good game this week. He had a very good game against Miami earlier in the season. Bell is a uh, running back too. And again, similar to Mixon, for me, he's locked there. That's him. Uh, might be game script. He might move down to RB3, but I find myself hard to put him in either one or three for the remainder of the season. Uh, Anderson is uh, wide receiver three, uh, but he's high-end. He could sneak into the 
wide receiver two conversation. Crowder is a low end wide receiver three. He could even drop out of that completely, but I'm not prepared to give up on all of his season volume to date just because he's had a couple of bad weeks. And then Ryan Griffin is a tight end uh, two for me this week. Panthers at Falcons. And basically with... Rob Rivera being fired, this kind of changes the completion of this game for me. Things will change. And so as a result, I don't really want to be messing around too much with the Falcons, um, with the Panthers, sorry, except for what I already know. So I think they're quite a narrow fantasy team. I think you're looking at maybe there's two players you can rely on and there's a couple you you might find it interesting. I ultimately, whenever there's a change of coach mid-season, you don't know what the new coaches are being brought in to do um, or what they're going to try. So for me, I, I'm just very curious if if you don't own anyone other than CMC and DJ Moore or you own people that aren't CMC and DJ Moore, I should say. I would consider benching them this week. I just don't like where anything's going to go. Unless you're absolutely desperate and you want to throw something at the wall, uh, I'm not confident. The Falcons, on the other hand, uh, Ryan, Ryan is a, a solid option as always. Uh, this is a bit of a tougher matchup for him. But still, at the, the same days, it's, you know, it's always a solid option to have. Matt Ryan, he always sort of seems to do the job with, with no fuss. And he does put up reasonably good numbers. He had, had a reasonably good year until he was out injured. The injury status of Julio, he's questionable at the moment. Just keep an eye on that one. Um, I think he probably could be fit. But similar to last week, is he going to be out there running more as a decoy? Or is he someone that's going to um, absolutely live it up? I think, to be honest, he'll start and I think he'll have a good game. Devonta Freeman, so he must score for me this week. He's had absolutely no rushing touchdowns this season. And so when I started to dig into this, Carolina have given up 19 rushing yard uh, rushing touchdowns to running backs. And they've given up 22 rushing touchdowns in total, which is the worst in the NFL by at least six touchdowns to running back. So the next closest was Green Bay with 13. And then you got 12 and a couple of 10s. Most teams are in single digits. 19 rushing touchdowns to running back. It's huge. It's a huge number. They're just getting absolutely walloped. They're the second worst rushing defense to fantasy running backs. They're giving up 30 points, fantasy points per game to uh, the collective running back per game. So when I started looking at games this season in which Carolina have not given up a rushing touchdown, um, I decided to make a list. And so here it is. Cardinals, week three, zero rushing touchdowns. End of list. That's it. Against arguably the worst or second worst team at rushing the football season, the Cardinals, the only team not to run the ball into the end zone against the Carolina Panthers. So if Freeman doesn't score a touchdown this week, he's almost cuttable because he's not put up the numbers. But this is the kind of matchup that you kind of banked on him doing something against, especially if you've been following the trend of the Panthers' defense. So you can start Freeman with a relative amount of confidence in the fact that everybody has scored against them this season. Therefore, you would expect Devonta Freeman, a former fantasy league champion, former fantasy running back number one overall in a season, to get into the end zone. Because if he doesn't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> right. Who's the start this week in this game? Panthers. CMC is obviously a running back one. DJ Moore is a wide receiver one. Those two must start. So don't worry about the change of coaching. That's going to be fine. If you really want to gamble, Curtis Samuel is a wide receiver three. Is someone that could get some sneaky looks, but ultimately could be completely frozen out depending how the new coach wants to play. And then um, Ian Thomas, Greg Olson has got concussion. So he's someone that could be a sneaky uh, tight end two option if you're desperate for a tight end this week if Greg Olson doesn't make it back. As for the Falcons, 
Matt Ryan, uh, I've got him in the QB2 situation this week. Just think he's a slightly tougher matchup than the normal. Um, I got Devonta Freeman as a running back two. Uh, I'm confident he'll find the end zone this week because if not, help us. Uh, Julio is a wide receiver one if he plays this week, but that's all. Provided Ridley, I've got as a low end wide receiver two. If Julio plays, he'll move up slightly uh, as a result. And then the last is Austin Hooper. I don't really know at this stage. I haven't ranked him because I'm not sure if he's back yet. So that's something to keep an eye on. But uh, if he is, it obviously is a start. But that's something you'll want to keep an eye on through the rest of the week at this stage. It's too early to tell. Now we've got the last game on the early slate, which is the 49ers at the Saints. Now this 49ers backfield, I mean, it's a minefield. It's an absolute minefield. What am I actually supposed to do with this? Uh, and break it down. So I'm going to try. That's a big question of mine. And then can I trust uh, Alvin Kamara uh, to do anything? And then who, who do I start? And so this, this backfield got really confusing. Most uh, went off and had an absolutely massive game. I started him in a few places thinking Breed is not going to start. He might get the goal line work. And he absolutely took off and had uh, over 140 yards in the touchdown game. So Coleman really is trending down. But then Breeder might be back this week. And really, it's just muddled the whole backfield now. Every, every week, this seems to be a potential different outcome. And so I don't really know what to do with this backfield anymore because I don't know who is going to get the majority of the carries or the majority of the, of the work, who's going to be the catching back, who's going to be the, the first down back, who's the second down back. Ultimately, I don't know. It's such a confusing state because you've not had a game where you've had all three relatively fit and all three having played an amount of time. At this point, I think in the first round of your fantasy playoffs, if you're on buy and you own these players, you know, this is why a buy pays off because you can get a situation like this and you're thinking, man, I'd have to start one of these. Like I might own Coleman. Think, I don't want to start him this week, but I'm struggling for who else I should play. So now you get a buy to see what happens. And then you're like, okay, great. Um, week 15, I'll know a little bit more because we'll have a bit more information, which is, which is key, which is why these buys are so important in situations like this. I ultimately have Moster and Coleman ranked back to back and then Breeder in a tier down uh, for me but I can't split them and I don't have any of them ranked above a, a, a running back three as a result. Now Kamara has played seven games since week three and he's had no touchdowns in any of those games. My worry is now that they've confirmed their playoff place. They're in a strong lead to get the, the first overall seed, which is what they're going for. I think they start to maybe reduce his workload a little bit as they're playing for the playoffs. The one thing that's good is that he's still getting on average nine targets a game in his last four games. And that's great. Uh, and we need that. So in a PPR format, he holds a lot safer of a floor. But in standard, if he's not scoring and he's struggling to get to that 100 yards, it's a real struggle as to what you do with him because effectively his, his ceiling is capped around 16 if he scores. And if he doesn't score, it's, it's more around 10 eight that kind of that eight to ten range without scoring because he's not really busting past 100 uh, 100 scrimmage yards uh, so it's a real real struggle in terms of and then he gets the the 49ers this week and that makes it worse you know the, the 49ers have only given up three rushing touchdowns to running backs this season they've given up none in the air to running backs so you know they're giving up 16 ppr 16.6 fancy points per game in ppr format I think with the nine targets, if he catches seven, he could get to that number quite easily. In standard, I mean, he's going to 
he doesn't hold a high ceiling for me. I get a low floor based on some uh, a reasonable floor based on some volume, but I think for me you're looking at eight to ten points, and he's a question mark on whether you start him in standard scoring. And I never thought I'd say that about Alvin Kamara, but I'm just a, a little bit a little bit worried. Um, so the 49ers, Jimmy G's a QB two for me this week. I've got Mister and Coleman right at the low end of the running back three, and then Breeders at the running back four. I've got Debo Samuel as a wide receiver three. I've got Sanders on that borderline. Wide receiver three, wide receiver four, and Kittle is obviously a tight end one. I'm not worried about what happened last week. Breeze, I've got as a quarterback two, uh, with Taysom Hill coming in for any touchdowns. How can you trust anyone uh, more than that? Kamara, I have put in, I, so I do scoring based on half point PPR, cause, uh, rankings based on half point PPR, just to sort of split the field and be even, and he just sneaks into the very back end of that RB1 conversation based on that half point scoring, because I think if he catches six or seven balls, three or four points just kind of elevates him up. So, if you're playing in standard, he'd be a running back two for me, but in half and full point PPI, he's a running back one for me. Just put that in perspective. Uh, Michael Thomas is a wide receiver one, and then Jared Cook is a tight end one for me this week. And that covers all the early kickoffs. That covers the Thursday night football. I will be back later in the week to cover off the rest of the games. There's six games that's to cover. So there's, there is the 4905 slash 925 games on sunday sunday night football monday night football um so you should get that in your ears on friday i will be back with you then stocks will be back with you tomorrow for our guest podcast which uh, should be a hoot as always i was not on that one but was told it was a lot of fun uh, and i look forward to hearing it just like you guys but until tomorrow with our guest our very special guest and then on friday with the look ahead podcast part two Good luck for Thursday night football. Good luck for your fantasy playoffs. Hope you all smash it unless you're playing us. And I, I do hope you respectfully lose. And I hope you understand that. But until later in the week, Rush Nation, keep rushing. entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 